0: Boxes and Vowel is a movement committed to exploring and responding to the unexpected ways that God is moving and speaking in and around us. This podcast is part of that. We want to have conversations that matter with folks in all kinds of walks of life because we believe that the God of the Bible so often shows up in surprising and everyday kinds of ways. We want to pay attention and talk about that and just maybe be changed by it all. Thanks for joining the conversation. Hey, I'm Aaron, host of the Foxes and Fowl podcast. Thanks for joining us. My guest today is Andrea Irwin. Andrea is the founding pastor of United Online, an online ministry of the United Church of Canada that connects people to virtual faith communities and supports discipleship through worship, prayer, and technology. She's the co-author of an upcoming book that explores what it means to make and be disciples in a digital world. As usual, we talk about quite a lot in a short time, so stick around afterwards for a few things I'm taking away from our time. Until then, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andrea Irwin. All right, Andrea Irwin, welcome to the Foxes and Fowl podcast. It's so good to have you here. How are you today?
1: Thank you so much for having me, Erin. This is a treat. I I'm doing great. Yeah, it's the the COVID asterisk you have to put behind every time you say you're doing good or you're doing great, right? It's the <laughs> but you know <laughs> everything else. And
0: under under the under the conditions, you're doing well. Right.
1: That's right. That's cool. Absolutely. I'm
0: glad to know it. Well, I, I'm I'm thrilled to be having this conversation with you today. This is uh, a, a lot of fun. Um, Why don't we jump right in? I I know you because I hang around the Vancouver School of Theology a lot, and that's where we met one another. Um, And, you know, one of the things we like to talk about on this podcast uh, is how we kind of figure out what we're supposed to do with ourselves, this idea of calling and vocation. Uh, and i'm always curious about how anyone ends up in seminary these days you know <laughs> I, I know that when i felt like God was calling me to ministry it was a pretty big surprise to me and to mm-hmm. everyone who knew me and at least one ordained friend told me to give my head a shake uh you know so uh, uh, how'd you end up here
1: yeah it's a it's a mystery to me for sure it was <laughs> a series of Accidental in my mind, but of course, not accidental looking back on it, but definitely a series of accidental decisions. Uh, I often joke that I didn't know I was going to seminary until I was well over halfway done. I uh, I grew up a cradle Christian, I grew up in church. Uh, my father is an Anglican minister. I know you are also a PK. So this might sound a little bit familiar to you. But I was adamant that this was not what I was going to do with my life. There were any number of things that I could do with my life and this one was just completely off the books. So I ended up doing my undergrad in uh, communications and journalism and I had a side gig throughout all of that where I blogged. I, I had a WordPress blog back when that was the thing. And really what I realized I was doing later than I probably should have, was making meaning out of the circumstances in my life that seemed to make no sense. And, and writing was how I kind of processed all of that, but that didn't, it didn't really feel like a career for me. It was something that I did that that was fun and kind of sparked life in me, but uh, I hadn't found a way to make that a financially viable option. So I had what many kind of 20 year olds do, which is this, decade-long period of searching I worked for nonprofits I worked for major corporations and like advertising agencies I volunteered I took an internship with Walt Disney World like I did everything that I could think of and uh, what happens when you were con constantly searching for something different in your life is that eventually you end up jobless so that's (laughs) what happened and i ended up moving back home with my parents around the age of 25 and that's when i found a job working as the administrator for a struggling church and i worked for that congregation for about a year and experienced kind of a I don't know, an aha moment or a coming home when I realized that there were so many suggestions I wanted to make. There was so much life in the place that other people couldn't seem to pinpoint. People were hearing these words on Sunday mornings, but then not turning around and doing anything about them. And I, as an administrator, was in no position to communicate any of that. And I just felt like this mm. this fire growing inside of me. And at the same time as this was happening, I had found myself following several American megachurches online. So I, you know, I found the sermons invigorating. I think one day one just popped up on my Twitter feed and I followed a link as, as we are wont to do these days. <laughs> and I I found them so captivating, and I I found myself living differently because of the words that I was hearing coming through my computer screen. So I got the call kind of out of nowhere from a minister of my home congregation about a year after I started working at this church, asking me if I would consider taking a job as their children, youth and family minister. Mm. and this was not a position I had sought out, but after having the experience of the past year of being like, Oh, I really, I wish I was in this more deeply. I wish I was in real relationship with these people as opposed to just answering their emails. Right. Um, I, it didn't take me very long to say yes to that position. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like there was an opportunity for me to do what I had been doing all along, which is, taking my life and contextualizing it using this faith story of ours but now I would be able to do that with other people as well and so uh, I said yes to that job and the first week of that job um, one of the uh, one of the administrators for BST um, reached out and said hey we have some openings in this course I hear that you're new to this congregation Uh, it's not too late to sign up if you feel like learning and I always feel like learning part of being a searcher was that every time i didn't know what to do with myself i went back to school so it made perfect sense that i would say yes to this and i had no idea that i was saying yes to seminary at the time but i said yes to one course and yes to the next course and before you knew it i graduated (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: awesome yeah it was uh, probably every Disney princess's dream come true I I was fired as a
1: Disney princess uh, because of my tattoos so that that calling did not work out for me (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah it's Uh, I I joke that it um the call has always been coming in for me I just mistakenly picked up the phone one day
0: right yeah that's beautiful that seems very somehow biblical. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. That's awesome. Uh, you said something really interesting there that I, I don't think I've ever heard you say, which is that you were you started living differently because of what you heard coming through the computer screen. And you know I, I know that um, one of your passions is exploring the church and the digital or virtual world. I know that you've done a lot of work on that, including, co-writing a book about it which we're going to get to in a second Uh, but I'd like to hear a little bit about um, why this started to matter to you maybe maybe that's part of it Uh, but it Mm -hmm. seems to me that it mattered to you before it seems to have mattered to others in the mainline church Uh, and and I want to know so I'd like to know about that why this matters to you and is it fair to say that this particular interest has kind of complicated the idea of what it means for you to be in ministry? Mm.
1: That's a, that's a great question. So um, to begin with, yes, this is a huge passion of mine. um, How the church can exist virtually and what that means, sort of as as far as the eye can see is is a big interest and has been since I started seminary. Um, I think that this comes from a couple of different places the first is that like i said i you know i was in communications i did love using online to communicate um i am a millennial through and through and so being online was really what what i did well um this was how i came to know myself i learned who i was by being who i wanted to be online um this sort of stepping into an identity uh, and once i was able to name that. It kind of opened up a bunch of doors for me as to what this could mean for the church and for discipleship in general. If if we have the ability to articulate to people how they can live lives of integrity online, um, the church should be stepping into that responsibility and doing that. So that was that was part of it. And then the other part was like I I mentioned that I'd been watching some of these more evangelical services online. I have always loved watching church i know that church is not something to be consumed so forgive me god but i just i love seeing what is out there i love seeing the different ways that people communicate messages and the music um but the churches that i grew up in so first the anglican church and now the united church of canada um these churches did not have the same Online presence. So the churches that I would find when I wanted to see church online would be these more evangelical, larger, usually churches. And the theology wasn't quite what what my theology was. But of course, because I grew up in the church, I was kind of able to, I was kind of able to to walk through the weeds a little bit and and to grasp what what really sparked something in me. Um, but it did start the question burning in me, which is why is our denomination um, with a progressive and inclusive message so silent online? And I Mm. don't think that we were that way intentionally. I think that uh, over time, our, our priorities just shifted. It wasn't about sight anymore. It was about doing like we, you know, to do God's mission in the world was to be out in the world doing that thing, not online talking about it but of Mm. course one of the challenges that we've had in our mainline in our mainline denominations is a declining of numbers and so the conversation around discipleship and how you know i'd never want to use the phrase butts and pews but i mean we hear it a lot (laughs) how do you get people into the church to then send them out and do do the work of of the kingdom and so uh this this question you know why is there such a hole? in online ministry when it comes to our denomination? Um, and what would it mean to take these services that I was watching online and completely enthralled by? I, Like I said, I, I was hearing these words on Sunday mornings and I was living my life differently because of it. However, mm. I was doing that alone. No one ever reached out to me no one knew that I was there the only kind of communication that I had with the congregations that I was attending and honestly felt like I was a part of was when they asked me to give financially or when someone said something in the chat box and I responded or they responded to me but it wasn't it wasn't in the sense that they really wanted to get to know me or why I was there where I'd come from or even that they wanted to retain me because I think retaining people it's not really um the purpose of some of these larger congregations they've already done that work and so Mm -hmm. if they can get me to go and live differently after sunday morning then their job is done but for me i really wanted to be in relationship with people and i wanted to be held accountable to the life that i was living after church on Sunday morning. And I didn't Mm. see that happening. And so when I began looking at, um, you know, taking classes in seminary and going to seminars, every paper that I had to write, everything that I had to converse around, I kind of used this as my lens. What would it be like if we were to do online ministry, not through a televangelist lens, but through a really missional lens? Like what? does good online ministry look like? And from there, you know, I I started looking at things like digital discipleship. I started looking at how ministry personnel can sort of integrate this private and public life as spiritual authorities and leaders in the church, and then how churches themselves can do this work better. And so this was really the lens through which I did all of my theological learning. And as you mentioned, um, it was a little bit unique. I had uh, I had a struggle, A, convincing people of the validity of a theology that sounded like it was going against the idea of an embodied faith. Like that is what we are as a Christian community is embodied, right? And so this idea that we could live lives of faith, without being embodied was quite a, it felt quite dangerous, I think, to people. It put it put people off. And so that was the first hurdle that I had to jump over. And then all of the other hurdles came crashing down on me, which is, you know, you can't do the sacraments online and it costs so much money to keep technology up and nobody even knows how to use technology. And we, we can't get people in the doors of our real building, let alone online. And so what are we gonna do about that problem? Um, and these questions just became um, really, really important to me.
0: Mm. That's great. And I know that, uh, some of the work that you've been doing most recently has been to help churches, uh, figure out how to do that, make, take that next step into kind of an online ministry. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, but I know that, um, uh, what happened when COVID hit was that all the, every church is yeah. online now. <laughs> so you no That's, longer have totally to convince changed. us that the internet is going to be a thing now uh, so we, right. we, we agree that the internet's going to be here for a while <laughs> and it's not going uh, anywhere it's not going anywhere and uh some people are on it and you know I, I i wonder now eight nine ten months into all this um what you think is coming afterwards and, and especially now that the genie is out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. Right? like there's no way for us to say like there's no validity to online worship because yeah all a lot of us have been doing for quite a while now you know uh, yeah several hundred Sundays in a row <laughs> well
1: <laughs> like it's, it feels like anyways the the beautiful invitation is there for people who want to attend church who want to start exploring different Christian traditions um, they now have access to almost Every church right and so people can find what they are looking for if they want to um, which we couldn't say 910 months ago so that's that's really incredible the need I think coming up is is some sort of. Ability to maintain the relationships that we've made in this time with people who will not be returning to our congregations in person. So I think about the most the the most simple um, situation is that there is a church who had never had online church before but who has now managed to have zoom services let's say during this time of covid we have had members of the community who have gone into long-term care they have now gotten used to worshiping online and being able to do that this is not a church that had online ministry in its sightline line or in its five-year ministry plan before this happened but they've been able to offer that during this time what happens to that congregant when all of a sudden this church has done no work in sustainability of this online ministry and now wants to go back to worshiping in person they have a congregant that they have accidentally ostracized by way of not continuing this practice that they were kind of forced into and so even for churches that haven't been able to see that there might be people out there who are looking for this community of people to join, they are starting to recognize that there might be benefits to this kind of ministry lasting anyway. And so that sort of is the baseline argument. Everyone has had the experience now of people attending church that might otherwise not be able to. And when I first started doing this work, the question was around um, ability, really. The people who were not attending church in person we're doing so not because they didn't want to, but because they were not able to. So um, one of the women who I've done a lot of learning with it suffers from social anxiety and is not going to come into a church with, 20 people she's not going to come into a church with 200 people it just is not something her body will allow her to do and being able to worship online and feel like she's a part of that community to know that they know her name and are praying for her is so important you have people In rural areas of the country that don't have a denomination that they feel safe in, they don't have a church that they feel they can attend and so being able to attend church online is one of the ways in which they is one of the only ways that they can stay connected and so these were the original demographic of people that I was hoping. Looking at this type of ministry could really serve and what I think we've realized in the past eight nine months is that that group of people has just completely completely expanded so we have you know stay-at-home moms who now can watch church or attend church on sunday evenings instead of sunday mornings we have people who are in prison that can attend church services we have people who like i said have gone into long-term care facilities we have people who have moved across the country or moved to other countries who can now attend church on sunday mornings and so to be able to to be able to stand here and say that we are an open denomination and we welcome everyone, and to not be able to provide a service that actually lives into that invitation, um, I think is selling ourselves short. I, I think that we're not, we're not doing our job, um, and so that has been one of the. Uh, most rewarding things to see the church come to the realization of in this past eight, nine months. And now you mentioned that i had done some work in resourcing congregations and kind of teaching them best practices or helping them get set up online. And now the question is, okay, what happens when we can start worshiping in person again? What does that hybrid model look like? And how do we make online ministry sustainable when all of a sudden the entire congregation is not online. It's back to the two, three, five, fifty 50 people who were only online to begin with. And how have we cultivated a community so that when, when things return, when it's the new normal, those people can still feel like they have a church family. And that's where I think the next set of best practices comes in.
0: Now that's gonna be so important to discern well, I think. I, I have, I have so many questions brewing um i i guess one well here's two questions that uh you may or may not have the answer to <laughs> um if you do i want royalties um <laughs> do you think that this this moment of time the reality of online worship and the possibilities of it requires us to rethink what it means to be a church on mission. And the the second question I have from what you just said is related to discerning what the best practices going forward are going to be, which is how do we make these virtual communities kind of sticky? Like why do, you know, in it when you can pick from any church in the world, you know, there's always going to be a church out there where the preaching is better than at my church. Uh, you know, like that's just <laughs> till I become the world's greatest preacher. That's going to be a fact. Um, and I, you know, but we, we make this claim that there is something valuable and kind of sticking with a community. Um, and that's a lot easier claim to make when people don't have many options. Yeah. So I don't know if I, I have an answer to that, but I'd, I'd be
1: curious to hear your thoughts. I don't have an answer, but I do have thoughts. <laughs> so I think in response to your first question, absolutely, this requires us to reevaluate how we practice mission in the world. Um, I think of one of the first church services that we did online after March 13th. So after it was it was formally, there was no one in the building. And um, a, a local theologian uh, who happens to live right up the street from our congregation ran down after the service and banged on the front door until until one of us answered. And she said that this is like the destruction of the second temple all over again. And all of a sudden we need to learn how to worship at home. And we need to trust that we have been discipled and formed in such a way that we are actually able to carry those faith practices into the home uh, on our own. And I think that that was such a, um, a wonderful example of how this is actually not a new problem. We have been here before as the church and we will be here again and we are still here. We've looked different after every iteration of being, but learning how to take our faith away from the four walls and out into the community, into our own homes, How is that not a blessed invitation? We talk about the mission not being what we do in the pews on Sunday morning, but instead being what we do out in the community, being neighborly with one another. The Internet is an amazing place because you actually get to choose who your neighbors are. We can't do that in real life. When I'm walking down the street, I actually cannot determine who is going to interrupt me on my walk down the block. And sometimes the person who interrupts me is not the person that I want to see. We have the ability on the internet to pick and choose who our neighbours are. And so if we don't, as the church, have something to say about that and have an invitation to people to not make that decision, then we're going to do ourselves out of mission entirely because we don't, just, we don't just do God's work in the world when we want to and with whom we want to. This is our entire life's call and so to be able to pick and choose the places where that happens I think is is something we have to say something about so absolutely it changes it changes the entire concept of mission it also changes how far reaching our mission is because all of a sudden you're talking about doing good works in your community and all of a sudden you have people who are you know watching from the United Kingdom or watching from wherever else in the world and you need to be able to contextualize the same ask, the same charge for them. And so it does change the way that we preach. It changes, uh, it changes our actionables. It changes our call for pretty much everything. Um, and I think that that is, I think that's an invitation that w- we're ready for and that will be very invigorating. It's kind of a revival in its own sense. So um, I'm not sure that doesn't answer your question, but the short answer in my mind is that things, I hope that things have changed um, because they should have. So that that would be my prayer for the church is that we we take everything that we have read and learned in our gospels about what it means to do God's mission, and we you know read that great commission over again and understand that when the invitation says all nations, that doesn't mean a physical place. That oh. means that actually the internet is one of those nations now. So to not enter into that space, I think is is doing a disservice to the word.
0: That's good. That's good stuff.
1: What was your second question?
0: <laughs> uh, I, th- I think I asked about, um... How we make our community sticky, like how we get people to to stay around, and actually engage with us as community. Because I think it's one thing to, you know, I guess my concern um, when we can go back, uh, and and even now is that, you know. I think I think it requires us to kind of up our game, (laughs) in a way, which (laughs) is not a bad thing. Like, the challenge is not bad, but, you know, in, in a world of endless possibility it's just so easy for someone to stop in for a bit and then move on to the next thing and then we don't it's not just about keeping numbers for ourselves i don't mean it that way but you know how do we actually i think in order to be discipled there has to be a measure of commitment to one another there has to be a mutuality yeah Yeah. And so how do we make our communities that are virtual um sufficiently engaging to get people to show up in Mm -hmm. the first place but also like uh sufficiently intimate, sufficiently uh mutually invigorating to keep them there mm-hmm. and to walk with us, whether they ever darken our doors.
1: I think you're absolutely right when you use the phrase up our game. However, that does not mean reinventing the wheel. I think that mm. what people are looking for when they darken our doorstep whether it's virtually or in person is the same thing they're looking to see and be seen they want to love and be loved they want to know and be known and i don't think that that changes whether we're in person or not and so the first thing is always can you see the people who are showing up online and that doesn't mean your sunday morning services have to be on zoom although i think that that's a wonderful way to worship with people i um i had one uh, congregation members say a few months ago um, about a Zoom call. It's so nice to gather with people like this because I'm used to sitting behind them in the sanctuary. I, I used to know whether or not someone had got their hair cut, but now I can see whether or not they've been crying. And like what wow. a what a gorgeous description of intimacy. And yet it has only come about because she was able to look at people's faces. zoom so um uh, so that i think there's great value to that um but that doesn't mean that you have to worship in this way it can be as simple as as a that chat feature which can be so annoying for some people on sunday mornings i know it's a huge distraction but for other people who show up to church for that community uh, that's really i mean now all of a sudden people know that they're there and that Mm. makes a huge difference i think there is there is one question that plagues me um, that I will continue to do my best to explore. And that is how do we engage with people who want to remain anonymous? So when I mentioned on the internet, we can choose who our neighbors are, that, that's in part because we can choose whether or not we want to be seen. And you know, whether whether in real life you are a back row person when you walk into a new church, someone hopefully has seen you when you enter that place. And they don't have to online. And so how can we make that invitation much more explicit? And how do we preach in a way that is saying you're you're only like we have more work to do than just sitting here and listening and receiving. Like the work that we have to do is work that we're doing with one another. And if we're not preaching that message on a Sunday morning, nobody's going to feel like they have to engage with us. And so that um, I think that's the most important hurdle to jump over is how do we extend an invitation that tells people we want to know that they are there because that's the only way that we're going to end up in relationship with people and we can't force them to, you know, make, make their name, their real name. We can't force them to share their information with us and we don't want to, but we would like to think that the message we are speaking and the story we are telling is one that encourages people to have those incarnate and embodied relationships. I think that one of, one of the challenges when we talk about virtual ministry is that people think that it is that that is to say we shouldn't have an in-person community and I don't think that that is true do I think that getting people to church online is a gateway to getting them to church in person not particularly but I do think that getting people to church online should be a gateway to making sure that they have Fulfilling and flourishing relationships in their own life. If we can't encourage people to do that, then we're we're missing the point because this isn't this isn't about us.
0: It's good. Thanks. I appreciate that, and I'll look forward to hearing uh, your thoughts down the road as this uh, as this progresses. I want to I want to switch gears a little bit, not entirely. I want to talk a little bit about this this book that you've got coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. Scheduled to come out later this year, I believe. It's called Follow. Is that right? Is that right?
1: Following. Following. Yes. Okay. Yes, it's a pun. Following social media, following Jesus. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. I,
1: Thank you. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. No, I, and I want to hear a little bit more about what's in it, and it, in this part of the conversation, I, I want I want to hear a little bit about what that process was like for you. It's a it's a different kind of work than you've you, I mean, you've been a student for a while, so writing papers yeah. is a thing, but it's totally different. And this is your first book. It seems to me like yeah. it was something that was probably going to happen one way or another, and I expect more in the future. But uh, for those who might be aspiring to do some writing on their own, I'd love to hear how it was for you um, and what's what the book's about itself.
1: Yeah, so, so the book came about first um, I was sitting with some colleagues, uh, you might have been one of them, Erin, um, in a workshop. Uh, and one of the people in attendance also happened to be a professor of mine at the time. And the conversation turned to boundaries and ministry personnel and social media. And one of the ministers asked the question Should I have a personal Facebook page and also a ministerial Facebook page? And I I kind, of, I kind of rolled my eyes to myself when this question was asked because I, I feel like this question is a, a bit of a tired question. And when I looked down at my phone, I had a message from the professor that said, are we still really talking about this? And we had a little bit of an engagement back and forth and we realized that actually while we thought everything had been said on the subject of social media and what it means to have an integrated life online, actually it hadn't been said quite as explicitly as we had thought. And so that sort of opened up the door to what would a book for pastors that was surrounding the idea of online ministry, online integrity, you know, what does, what does being a professional and your personal self on social media look like when you are in ministry as a vocation? What does discipleship look like if you're doing it online? Does doing something online negate doing it in person? All of these conversations kind of started bubbling up in us and we realized that we had quite a lot of words to say. (laughs) So we started, we started working on this book together, uh, almost two years ago. So this, um, maybe more than two years ago. So this was pre-COVID. Um, and I had, I had just started doing work as an online minister uh, for a, a church plant of the United Church of Canada. And we were still in the research and development stage. So I was constantly asking these questions of myself and of my colleagues and of churches in the area. What does good online ministry look like? And so the book became an excuse, really, to to go bigger and broader and to ask those questions much more widely. And it was such a challenging and exciting process. I got to speak to so many interesting individuals. um, And my my co-author, Jason Biasi, who you've had on this podcast. Uh, says that being a journalist or writing books is really just an excuse to get in touch with the people who you're curious about and ask them really nosy questions. And <laughs> it was absolutely right. We got to ask all sorts of questions of, of people who I didn't actually think that I had access to and learn from them. And it was so, uh, it was so rewarding and the book is, is so much better for it. I think that we, we got a really broad range of, Uh, opinions on the topics that we were discussing jason and i take somewhat different stances on online technology Um, Mm -hmm. so i i tend to push back in some of the areas where uh, jason might say no this you know this is something that we should only do in person so communion being one of them that's that's a hot topic conversation right now can the lord's supper be celebrated online Uh, and that's something we have uh, a little bit of a disagreement around and that we got to really dig into in this book the idea Mm -hmm. of integrating the personal and pastoral identities as a leader is something else that we got to explore in this in this book and that um in the age of social media when everything that you do can be online or might accidentally end up there even if you didn't mean for it to how does that mean that we live our lives any differently Um, again what it means to be neighborly online when you're in a space that you can choose to have relationships with people or not the block button exists for a reason and i think that um (laughs) one of the one of the women um a wonderful pastor in the states uh, reverend jess cast she she used the phrase block ministry. Um, to block is divine. This idea that actually, if, if someone is in your space and creating um, an unsafe environment, that that block button can be your best friend. And we have not had the experience in real life of being able to do that. We've all had the uncomfortable experience of someone uh, that maybe we weren't quite prepared for walking into the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, but we've never had the ability to decide who's in and who's out. And that brings with it a huge responsibility and questions around hospitality. So that's one of the things that we dive into as well. What does it mean to be hospitable in a space that is created to be social in quotations? But as we all know, actually, can be more damaging than not so relationships that we have online how are those managed properly how do we have the proper balance between um, between our in-person relationships and our online relationships when do we shut the computer how do our ancient spiritual practices inform the way that we can use these modern technologies i mean we've all heard the phrase digital fast Right, and so, or or even a digital Sabbath. I take those. Uh, I take those on Mondays. At least I try to. But this is this this is religious and spiritual language, and ancient language at that. That we are now adopting to fit with our modern technologies, which says something about how integral these practices are to our lives of faith in in all context and and time and circumstance. So those are some of the things that we. That we dive into, um, the hope is that this this book is really an introduction for pastors who might not be sure how to navigate online waters, whether it's introducing the congregation to online ministry, or whether it's just doing a sermon series on on how your teenager could best use social media um, or, or even hosting some of those challenging conversations. Um, and, and that's something that I think the church has unintentionally shied away from. There are lots of things that we maybe choose not to speak about from the pulpit, but technology is one of those things that is, has completely infiltrated our lives um, and that our, our ancient faith actually has a lot to say about Um, we joke that the church has always been virtual if you look at the letters of paul he's writing to communities that are never going to be in community with one another that he Mm. may or may not ever meet and yet the technology of the time these written letters is exactly what is holding this church together and so for us to sit here and think like "Whoa, is us this is a brand new circumstance absolutely not this is like the church has been struggling with this question question of uh, embodied virtually for as, as long as it's existed
0: wow i'm really looking forward to you. uh do you know when it's actually scheduled to come out
1: august i august. believe okay. yeah
0: well we'll be watching for it
1: thank you uh
0: it's exciting i think it's timely and uh mm. I just want to I, I want to thank you for you've been generous with your time today and uh, with your story and your wisdom. Uh, you're a real gift to me, and and your work is a gift to the church. And so, uh, thank you for your time today, Andrea. And uh, I hope maybe maybe in August you'll come back and do this again.
1: Thank you, Aaron. This has been this has been great. Foxes and Fowl has been such an exciting endeavor to be a part of and to watch, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this ministry goes and who you reach. So, blessings.
0: Thanks. I'll talk soon. Hey, thanks for hanging out. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrea as much as I did. Here's a few things I'm taking away from our time. First, if we're going to do anything of consequence, we need accountability to others. This is especially true when it comes to Christian faith and discipleship. We need to see and be seen. We need to love and be loved. Second, reasons things can't be done aren't great reasons not to do them. (laughs) Don't let fear and uncertainty or minds closed to what's possible stand in the way of pursuing things that matter. It may be that God has given you that particular passion for an important reason. Third, for those of us who work in and care about the church, we have a responsibility to use what's at our disposal to preach the gospel and to make it accessible. It's good to ask not only who's not here, but why, because the answers may surprise us. And fourth, history may not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. (laughs) This has been a challenging season, but saints in every generation have faced challenges. Our faith is in the one who promises to be with us in the deepest valleys and to lead us through into something new. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to the Foxes and Fowl team, University Hill Congregation, and the Pacific Mountain region of the United Church of Canada. Thanks to Davis Miller for the tunes. Check them out wherever you get your music. And if you want to know more about Foxes and Fowl, you can find us online and on Facebook and Instagram at foxesandfowl.ca. Till next time, grace and peace.